Hello and welcome to A History of Hannibal, episode 66, Looming Spectre. Marcellus was dead. Hannibal, ever one to take advantage of the situation, found Marcellus's dead body and his signet ring. This would enable Hannibal to write letters as though they were from the dead consul. Crispinus was well aware of this danger. He couldn't do anything to get the ring back. He was seriously injured in the attack, upon their force, and had retreated to a safe position. So he had to think of something else. He sent out his own messengers, warning them that Hannibal had killed Marcellus, and therefore they should not believe any letter which was supposedly sent from the consul. One of these towns was Salapia, whom you'll recall had recently flipped from Hannibal to the Romans, and had killed a number of Numidian cavalry, earning them the enmity of the Carthaginian general. Very shortly after receiving the letter from Crispinus, the letter from Marcellus arrived, carried by a Roman deserter, so as to not arouse suspicion. The Salapians were thus well aware of just who this Roman was, and who was his real master. The deserter said that Marcellus would soon be arriving into the town the night after the next, and that they should be ready for his arrival. The Salapians made all the right noises and sent him on his way, before actually coming up with a plan for what to do. The deserter made his way back to Hannibal, and told him that everything was going according to plan, and so the Carthaginian army set off on its way. Hannibal used the same trick to convince the Salapians that the army was a Roman one, by having his front ranks filled with Roman deserters. Therefore, they had the correct military gear, spoke Latin, and had no accent which would give them away. The Salapians, well prepared, pretended to be woken up by the commotion and opened up the gates. The Roman deserters marched into the town, completely relaxed with their equipment hanging over their shoulders. It was going perfectly. Hannibal, therefore, would have been quite surprised that after 600 Romans had marched into town, the gates swung shut. All he could do was watch, while the townspeople caught the deserters completely off guard and killed the loss of them. Hannibal was rather embarrassed, and moved quickly to Locri to stop the city from falling. With Hannibal in Brutium, Crispinus could plan. The dead consul's son, Marcellus the Younger, was sent with his father's force to Venusia, while Crispinus himself went to Capua. He wrote to Rome about what had happened, and that he would be unable to travel to Rome for the consular elections, partly because he did not think he would be able to handle the journey, and partly because he was afraid that if he moved north, Hannibal would move out of Brutium, and have another stab at taking Tarentum. The reaction at Rome was one of grief for the death of Marcellus, and concern for Crispinus, but the Senate did what Crispinus had asked. They sent advisers, Sextus Julius Caesar, Lucius Licinus Pollio, and Lucius Cincinnus Alimentus. If Crispinus was unable to travel north, then it would have to be their task to make sure that a dictator was named. Meanwhile, the son of Fabius, Fabius the Younger, was sent to take control of the force at Venusia, being led by Marcellus the Younger. Crispinus's wounds proved fatal, and he soon died, 
but not before he named Titus Manlius Torquatus as dictator. You remember Torquatus. He was the fellow who was almost elected consul a short while ago, but asked not to be elected as he was too old. This was a very strange year for the Roman war effort in Italy, something which was reflected by the mood in the capital. Once again, they had lost both their consuls, because they were too aggressive, allowing them to fall into Hannibal's traps. This was a familiar story. Yet, it was different. The consuls were dead, but it had only been a force of 200 which had ventured out of the Roman camp that day. The armies were pretty much fine. Attention turned to the consular elections, and the Senate looked at who would be up to the task. Everyone agreed that one of the consuls would be Gaius Claudius Nero. Nero had held various commands throughout the course of the war, perhaps most notably playing a role in the siege of Capua. Now, there was the problem of who to choose as his colleague. There existed a law whereby one of the consuls should be a patrician, one of the old families who could trace their ancestors back to the followers of Romulus, and the other had to be a plebeian. Now, Nero was a patrician, so another patrician could not be chosen as his colleague. This eliminated some of the other prime candidates, such as Valerius and Fabius. They couldn't elect Torquatus, he had the same problem being a patrician, and there was the incident we referred to earlier where he didn't want to be consul anyway. By now, you should be familiar with most of the senior Romans, those who have been consul several times. So, right now, I'm going to surprise you, and throw a new name at you. Marcus Livius Salinator. Livius had been a consul before, back before the Second Punic War had started. He was a general back in the Second Illyrian War, but once his term in office was over, he was charged with malpractice, and he went to live in shame in the countryside. In 210 BC, while Marcellus and Valerius were consuls, they invited him to return to Rome, which he did begrudgingly, though he refused to shave and wore his old clothes as a mark of shame. The response of the leading magistrates was essentially, get over it, Livius. The censors forced him to shave, cut his hair, get some new clothes, and attend Senate meetings. Even in this, he was stubborn. He was there, but he would only give one-word answers, until a case came up concerning the reputation of one of his relatives. He finally spoke, and the senators suddenly remembered just how he had risen to be consul in the past, and felt as though they had been a bit stupid not to use such a talent in their war effort thus far. You get the feeling that while Livius was speaking, the senators were looking at each other going, you know, this guy would make a pretty good consul. When word got out to the people about this, they thought about it and came to the same conclusion. Livius wanted no part of this. He was a criminal. Why were they giving him the consulship? Upon finding out his attitude, the Senate was pretty sick of his moaning. They reminded him of Camillus, a saviour of the state in the early Republic, both in the war against VA and following the sack of Rome by the Gauls. Camillus had been exiled, but when Rome needed him, he returned without complaint. Livius would be wise to do the same. That is the story of how Nero and Livius were elected consuls for 207. Now, 
these are dangerous times. There is one significant problem in the way I have decided to tell the story. There are problems in every way of telling the story, so I will defend the course we've taken, but by covering events in the Italian theatre before the Spanish theatre, it sort of comes out of the blue that a force of 30,000 Carthaginians, led by Hannibal's brother Hasdrubal, was descending upon northern Italy. Yes, this is very big news, and we really need to give it some more attention. We're not going to go in-depth into the Spanish theatre here, but it is necessary to at least go over what has been happening in Spain. When we were last there in episode 53, the Romans were not in a good way. The Scipio brothers, who had held the command, were killed, and the Romans somehow managed to keep the Carthaginian south of the river Ebro. Following this disaster, the young Scipio Africanus took the command, and managed to have considerable success, managing to take the Carthaginian capital of New Carthage. Things were not going great for the Carthaginians in Spain, and as you've seen in the last few episodes, things were not going well for Hannibal in Italy. The Carthaginians had hoped that by dividing Roman attention between Spain and Italy, they would be able to beat them on both fronts, but it appeared that the reverse had happened. One of the classic moves in warfare is the pincer, to divide your force and catch the enemy in the middle by forcing them to fight on two sides. It is a classic, and has often been successful, but it also involves dividing your own force. One of the more common errors in military history is to underestimate the value of concentrating your force. Spread out too much, and you make yourself easy to beat. This is what was happening to the Carthaginians. They needed to make a move to stop this happening, and so, back in 209, Hannibal decided upon what he should do. He sent a message to his brother Hasdrubal that he should head to Italy, and they could attack the heart of Rome together. So, how would Hasdrubal move his force from Spain to Italy? Perhaps if Carthage had invested wisely during the war and built a fleet, they could have transported Hasdrubal to Hannibal, but they had not. The sea was still dominated by the Roman navy. This meant that a decade after his brother made the same journey, Hasdrubal would have to march on the overland route as well. Once again, a Carthaginian force would march through Gaul, and once again, a Carthaginian force would have to march over the Alps. As the winter of 208-207 took place, Hasdrubal was lurking menacingly in the north. This brings us back to where we were before that digression. These were dangerous times. The two consuls did not get on, but the Senate forced a reconciliation, despite the bitter protests of Livius. With that out of the way, the Romans could get down to the real business of dividing up the zones of military command for the year. It was decided to adopt, for this year, an unorthodox division of command, to reflect the unorthodox situation. One consul would be given command of the southern theatre of the war, with the task of facing Hannibal and fighting the war in Brutium and Lucania, while the other was signed the north of Italy and facing Hasdrubal. The command of Fulvius was also extended for another year. He would command an army which was not chosen by the consuls. The Senate was very nervous, they wanted things to get going. By this point, the consuls had entered their offices, and it was the spring of 207. 
they knew that Hasdrubal could appear out of the Alps at any moment, and he had to be met at the north. He could not be allowed to march south. Likewise, Hannibal had to be kept in Brutium, as far away from his brother as they were able to manage. There was a delay as the two consuls worked out which troops would be in which army, but finally they set out. Livius marched north to face Hasdrubal, and Nero marched south to face Hannibal. To get a sense of the atmosphere, I'm going to quote from Livy, Book 27, Chapter 40. The departure of the consuls from Rome in opposite directions for two simultaneous campaigns brought with it a double anxiety. Men could not but remember the disasters which Hannibal's first coming had brought Italy, and at the same time, they were tormented by anxiety. What gods could look with such favour upon Rome and her empire as to allow success simultaneously in both theatres of the war? So far, they had managed to balance loss with gain, and had thus postponed a decision for so long. In Italy, Roman hopes had come near to ruin at Trasimene and Cannae, but victories in Spain had raised them up again. Later, when in Spain two outstanding generals had been killed, and defeat after defeat had partly destroyed the two armies, Many successful campaigns in Italy and Sicily had buttressed the tottering fabric of the state. Mere distance, moreover, since one of the campaigns was being fought almost at the ends of the earth, had given them a breathing space. But now they had two wars on their hands actually in Italy. Two famous military leaders stood, one on each side of Rome, and the whole massive weight of the Carthaginian menace was concentrated upon one single point. Whichever of the enemy commanders won the first victory would, within a few days, join forces with his colleague. A further cause of alarm was the gloom cast of the previous year by the deaths of both consuls. So, when Nero and Livius parted, each for the scene of his coming activity, their fellow citizens accompanied them along their way. But with anxious hearts. End quote. 207 BC was set up to be one which would be a huge deciding factor in who would win the war, but we will have to wait until next time before getting into it. If you've enjoyed the show, remember to visit us online, thehistoryofpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, twitter.com forward slash thehistoryofpod, and historypodcasters.com. If you have any questions, feel free to drop me a message, thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com. There is also the YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast. You can visit the podcast store to buy some merchandise, thehistoryofpodcast.spreadshirt.co.uk. And of course, there is the ebook of the Alexander the Great series available on Amazon Kindle. I'll see you in two weeks when we continue to advance to the battle of the Mataras River. Thank you.